Good morning, guys. Um, it's good to see you all and uh, uh, be with you and read your chats. And, you know, there are times where our women's uh, ministry gets together, our men's ministry or our community groups um, get together, but there's something special, right, isn't there? When, when we all get together and we're worshiping God and we're with him, there's this deeper sense of unity and a sense of God's presence that's with us, uh, just more powerfully. And so I'm just glad uh, that we're able to gather together today. Today is, or tonight is Good Friday. And Good Friday celebrates the day of Jesus' death. And countries around the world, um, you know, are declaring this a national holiday. Countries like Australia and Canada and uh, Spain and the Philippines, they're, they're taking this day off um, as a public holiday. And isn't that fascinating? I mean, the most celebrated person that has ever walked the earth is known for his death. You know, the author uh, Dorothy Sayers, uh, she says this, um, if this is dull, if the story of Jesus, the story of a suffering God, the suffering hero, if this is dull, what is worthy to be called exciting? So you see, there's just something special here that so many people um, recognize. And so they've come together. They've, they've declared it a national holiday. And they're dedicating their time and their energy uh, on this night, on this event. You know, the first thought we have maybe when people talk about Jesus' death is how can something good come out of someone's death? Why would people call this Good Friday, even though it's about Jesus dying on the cross? And you see, the difference of tonight's observance of Jesus' death is, is we're not just remembering and celebrating his life. You know, um, usually when you reflect on someone's death, you remember and you celebrate their life. But we're actually tonight celebrating the very fact that Jesus died. Isn't that fascinating? We're not just celebrating his beautiful and amazing life. We are also celebrating his death, that he died in a real place, in a real time, uh, that he died with the real body and he experienced real pain and real suffering. And, and you see that's the difference between a Christian's death and any other death. There's a celebration of not just the person's life, but of something bigger, of something greater, of something far better. And that's what we're going to see tonight. Uh, in our text, we're going to see why Jesus came, why he had to die, why that's changed everything, and why so many people around the world have gravitated towards him. Um, our text today is, is John chapter 4, verse 31 to 36. And we're doing this a little bit out of order. Sorry about that. But let me read to you our passage today. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. Uh, today uh, or tonight, we're not 
going to be doing necessarily a sermon. Uh, it's going to be a devotion. And traditionally, uh, in the Christian tradition, a devotion is just a short reflection, a short meditation, and we're going to follow that up with some time of prayer and some time of song. And so we're going to just take a look at three things today. We're going to take a look at the context. We're going to take a look at the king's hunger. And then lastly, we're going to take a look at the gospel. So first, the context. You see, our passage is taking place during one of Jesus' evangelistic journeys to Samaria. And uh, just before this, he has talked to a woman at the well, and his disciples come to him and say, Rabbi, which just means teacher, it's lunchtime, you should eat something. And then Jesus, what does Jesus say to them? He says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And his disciples are utterly confused. You know, they start talking to each other and asking one another, did you bring him something to eat? You know, um, hey, I, th- I thought we were going to eat together. You know, like, did you guys forget to let me know again? They're confused. What, what are you talking about, Jesus? And this is a pattern we see in the disciples. Whenever Jesus does something or whenever he says something, they constantly miss the bigger picture, right? And then Jesus says to them in verse 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say that there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. Essentially, he's saying, open up your eyes and, and see what I see, that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. You know, like the disciples, you and I, we live in a world where we're governed by our physical desires, aren't we? We have physical desires, and, and this isn't a bad thing, but to be governed by them is another thing. To be governed by them can be a problem. To govern by our physical desires means that we're ruled by them, that they master us. That's when gluttony rules over self-control, and greed rules over generosity. That's what happens when beauty rules over character. Anger rules over forgiveness. And lust rules over commitment and faithfulness. And you and I know where this can lead. Therefore, in this moment, Jesus is teaching his disciples and us something about what governs his life, what motivates him Right, what satisfies his hunger? And we see this in another gospel passage where Jesus says, I don't live on bread alone, right? My food is to do the will of my Father who sent me. Essentially, what Jesus is saying is there's food that is more reinvigorating and more satisfying and more fulfilling that I have. And that's the will of the Father. It's this ripe harvest that Jesus talks about in our passage. But friends, what, what is that will that Jesus is talking about? What, what is this, the meaning of this harvest? He's not talking about literal right grain and literal wheat. That's not, that's not what he's living for. No, he's, he's speaking figuratively. He's speaking metaphorically. What is the harvest? Well, it's you and me. You see, Jesus' stomach growls to save people. 
Jesus craves to, to bring people into a relationship with him. He had this spiritual appetite where, you know, his grace would overcome his frustration. He had this spiritual appetite where his forgiveness would overcome his holiness and righteousness and his justice. He had this spiritual appetite where his patience would be control and over control of his anger. Isn't this amazing that Jesus would say that, you know, what, what, what gives me satisfaction isn't, isn't food, isn't drink, isn't snacks, you know, um, it's you. You know, uh, whenever I'm trying to find something to eat, you know, my wife is always telling me to hurry up because I'm always on Yelp and I'm just passing things by, you know. Uh, but Jesus doesn't do that, does he? No, he, he sees every single one of us and he does not pass us by. He wants to meet with you. He wants you to experience him. You see, friends, um, we were all created to know God, uh, to be in relationship with him, to follow him and trust him, to live for him and to glorify him. And, and we're, supposed to, we're supposed to be in love with Jesus because he's the most perfect, the most righteous, the most holy person that ever walked this earth. I mean, he would just blow everyone away. If he was, if he was in your life, you'd, everyone would want to be friends with him. But we've turned away, haven't we? And we've gotten lost. We get lost in the darkness. We get lost in uh, the opinions of this world and uh, trying to people please others. We get governed by our pride and our emotions and our desires and we get into trouble. And friends, the Bible calls this sin. And Jesus knows this. He, he knows that there is this deep brokenness inside all of our hearts um, he knows that there's this deep brokenness for us to go after things um, that, that, that can't satisfy us, that can't fulfill us, that can actually even hurt us and eventually leave us tremendously fearful at the end in the face of death. Because friends, that's what sin does. Sin eventually leads to death. It'll lead to emotional death, spiritual death, relational death, and physical death. But our passage tonight tells us that Jesus came into our world to save us from sin. Right? Our passage tells us that his work and his food is to fix this toxic problem of sin. You see, this is the bigger picture that Jesus is talking about in our passage here. He's not talking about food. The disciples are hungry. They're thinking about, where are we going to eat next? No, Jesus is saying, I've got so much to do. I've got so many people to talk to, so many people to heal, so many people uh, to pray for. And this is the bigger picture in your life too. More than food and wealth or popularity or romance, you see, Jesus, for Jesus, and, and even more important than, you know, prioritizing even his immediate family, Jesus' love for the well-being of every single human soul was what was most important to him. Jesus' thoughts consumed, not by people-pleasing, not by establishing his kingdom, but 
by thinking about all the people who are broken, who are struggling with guilt, who are struggling with depression, who are struggling with brokenness, who are struggling with despair and hopelessness. He's thinking about those people. Now, those people are so important to him. Friends, this is why Jesus' death on one hand, though terrible, was so good on the other. You know, it was unjustified and it was senseless and it was evil, but at the same time, it had the most redemptive lining and it was the greatest purpose that we could ever imagine. Friends, on the cross, Jesus takes all our sin, the wickedness of it, the selfishness of it, the punishment our sin deserves, big or small, he takes all of that on himself and he forgives all of it on the cross. I mean, you, you know that everything has a cost. It may be free for you, but someone had to pay it. In the same way, forgiveness is free for us, but it's only free because Jesus had to pay, pay it. The power of Jesus' love is now in us and it gives us hope and renewal and it revives us, not instantly or perfectly in a moment, but through our entire life, slowly yet surely, because Jesus paid the ransom to free us from the power of sin. So we're not just objectively forgiven from our sin. Yes, we are objectively forgiven from our sin. When Jesus looks at us, he doesn't hold any grudges. He doesn't hold any resentment or bitterness. We don't need to make up for it. Objectively, we're forgiven. But at the same time, subjectively, we're also freed from the dominion and the power of sin. We're freed from the master of sin in our hearts. And we have a new master, a new king, a new power. Friends, Jesus... Um, he was so singularly committed to this mission, to this work. You know, he shared the good news of forgiveness and grace and reconciliation with God every waking minute. This is why he's so exhausted where he could sleep on a boat with a storm about him. This was his food. This was his work. This was his will. Risen, can you believe this? Can you believe that you are Jesus' delight? You know, in a world where we're after our own desires, Jesus is after you. He craves you, and he desires to be reconciled to you, and he's hungry to forgive you and to pour grace and peace into your life, into your relationships, at the workplace, with your friends, in your marriage, in your family. You see, this thought, this thought of forgiving you, of saving you, of renewing your life, it consumes him every single day. You know, we get up and we think, what are we going to eat? Oh, you know, and after we eat that, we go, what am I going to have for lunch? Jesus thinks, how am I going to bring Rich? How am I going to bring Jason or Jenny or, you know, anyone back to me? How am I going to forgive them? How am I going to show them grace? How am I going to reconcile this, this couple? How am, how am I going to bring revival and, and renewal and power into this home? How am I going to break the idols that my people have? 
He can't help himself, but he could be consumed by you. He needs, he needs this for his food. And so friends, you know, you know t- today is Good Friday, and we're, we're just going to take a moment uh, to meditate on this and to reflect on this. And I want to encourage you to really take this opportunity because we worship a God who's not bound by space and time. Um, we worship in spirit and truth. And I'll encourage you to be restored to Jesus today, to be satisfied in him. Let this be your food. Let this be your will. Let this be your greatest work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and um, we're here to, to celebrate Good Friday. And it's sometimes we forget why we call this Good Friday. How could it be good if someone had to die? But as treacherous and as painful as it was, Father, your son said it is finished on the cross. And all the security and all the love and all the the righteousness and glory that we're seeking after, all of that is finished in the death of Christ. He gives us eternal security, eternal glory, eternal love, eternal peace. Everything is finished. And the life we live now, we live out of gratitude. We live out of stewardship. We live out of passion and this grace just bubbling out of our heart. And everything is no longer a goal, no longer an end. It is a means to be a part of your work, to partner with your will, and to feast on the same things you feast, which is the salvation of souls and the redemption of the lost to be found. So Father, would you work on all our hearts today? (sighs) Break the chains over us. Allow repentance to wash over us like a flood and remind us yet again that this is not to be reserved for Good Friday or just on a Sunday but every single moment we have this kind of access to this kind of freedom to this kind of love and to this kind of power you love us no matter what you forgive us Thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.